Hello again. This is Tomás O'Leary here with two Irish guys discussing software. I'm here. Hang on a second here. I'm here with, not with another Irish guy. I'm here with Harry Candida again, <laughs> our very own SVP of Global Marketing and Total Leadership. Harry, this is terrible. I keep bringing in, <laughs> I bring in India, uh, Ireland in, and it should be India. What do we got? We got to change this. Two two I guys or something. <laughs> two I guys or uh, an Irish and an Indian guy. Uh, I I bet Brendan is feeling a little left out. Let's bring him in next time for the holiday podcast, Tomas. So Brendan, we'll we'll bring you in. Don't worry, I'm not taking this over. <laughs> over love- for yeah. We'd love that. We'd love that. I think we definitely need to do that for sure. Yeah, yeah no, but but it's uh, it's it. Listen, we need representation from everywhere, don't we? Absolutely, we do. And speaking of representation, and speaking of uh, India here, and an Indian guy, let me start off with some positive news that I see. IBM plans to train Tomas five hundred thousand Indians in cybersecurity over the next five years. That's a number that's even big for India. Five hundred thousand Indians. And the good news I see there is the focus on security, right? I think Asia is now one of the most targeted regions for cyber attacks. I believe the last uh, the the threat intelligence index for 2022 says that 26 percent of attacks back in 2021 were all in Asia. So that's good news. India ranks second, by the way, after Japan and Australia on the most attacked countries in the Asian region. So from that perspective, I think that's great that IBM is going there, making some serious investments. Cybersecurity, by the way, a huge major investment uh, focus, a huge growth vertical for IBM in India for and, and the rest of Asia Pacific. So just thought we'll share that news about how wow. IBM is turning on the security uh, investment in India and 500,000 wow. Indians. That's a number even big for Indian size. Wow, that is that is incredible. Well, listen, we don't we people to be just presenting bad news about IBM. That's a great good news story, yeah. absolutely, which is great. That's so right. normally, you know, it's good to have you, Harry. You can find in some good stories about what's happening with an IBM. Actually, I don't know whether you heard they actually also in court. This this time they're actually not being sued, unlike some of the other stories. Mm-hmm. They are actually doing the suing. Yep. Yeah, they are taking on Microfocus, who are in the process being bought by OpenText, but they're taking a case against Microfocus. They micro claiming that Microfocus are alleging that Microfocus copied and re- reverse engineered the Kix mainframe service. Right. Uh, what do you know much about Kix and what it even stands for? It's Customer Information Control mm-hmm. System. All, all my mainframe friends will be delighted to hear that. Obviously, you know, we have a mainframe service now to learn all of this stuff. But honestly, they quite bizarre what they've actually been doing trying to do in there the the complaint actually says and i read the thing paragraph 40 of the complaint says that they believe ibm believe that microfocus's copy of the kicks tsws bin software Mm. was so much a copy that it included some of the same defects and believe it or not harry the missing features (laughs) so things that were missing in the IBM program utility, <laughs> are actually not in the in in the uh, microfocus. So is the claim. So we'll wait and see what happens there. That's an so, interesting uh, one. And I did come across that. I didn't uh, look too much into the detail, but you know, uh, sounds like a pretty strong case uh, that they're going after. And I was actually looking at some of the wording there. And IBM is uh, serious about this. Oh no, totally. There's a big case now. So I mean. Listen, if you if you're gonna copy someone's software, I mean, what does the U.S. Copyright Act say? You cannot copy software, you know. So yeah. let's let's yeah. be straight about it, you know. Yeah. 
You have some well, news about somebody else who likes yes. to report, don't you? Speaking, uh, speaking of people suing other people and companies <laughs> suing other companies, uh, let's talk about Larry Ellison. I saw this very interesting article, uh, Tomas. Forbes put out their annual billionaires list. Uh, Larry oh, wow. drops two places uh, to be in now as number seven. And guess who is ahead of him? And I'm sure he's not happy at all. And that is Bill Gates on number five. But here's the bigger thing. I always wondered how many billionaires are there in this world? 2,668 billionaires in 2022. So there's a trivia, 2,668. And the article goes on to say, it's amazing, right? That kind of wealth. Can you imagine the role that these billionaires can play and are playing in shaping global economy, politics, philanthropy, and some of them are doing a great job. And and another um, interesting point, you know, because most of their wealth, uh, so much of their wealth is in these publicly uh, traded stocks, the net worth of the richest, they can just fluctuate with market valuations and I'll give you an example, right? Uh, Elon Musk in 2021, just because the share price of Tesla rose nearly 50% and he owning 16% of the company, his net worth, boom, surged as of September 2022, worth $241 billion. <laughs> that's wow. the GDP wow, that's of many countries that put is... together, the smaller ones at least. But anyway, yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Well, and I wonder what will happen if he took took a measurement in in early January after what he's doing with Twitter. Let's see how much. Oh, actually there's is. that. I believe he's in first. He's in first place. But Larry he Ellison isn't. in seventh place. Oh, he's very competitive. And I'd say <laughs> he won't be very happy to have Bill Gates ahead of him. Speak, actually, speaking of Bill Gates and Bill Gates's alma mater, Microsoft. Did you see that they are trying to do kind of deals and offer concessions to regulators? It's kind of a very uh, unusual so mm -hmm. <laughs> bit of activity. Mm -hmm. They're trying to buy the uh, gaming provider Activision Blizzard. So they're trying to buy those guys. And as part of that, they are obviously PlayStation have an issue as many of the other gaming manufacturers because they want to actually keep the games from. Did I read Blizzard. that right, Tomas? It's a, is it really a $69 billion acquisition? Is it really? Yeah, yeah. Oh have you ever played Call of Duty? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever played it? I have. Well, I, I have. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I have. was just. I was just checking. I was just checking. Have you played Call of nope. Duty? Well, if you have played nope. Call of Duty, you will say that's a sixty-nine billion. That's not a lot of money at all for <laughs> for a game that good. <laughs> no, that's 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 an eye-popping amount. But I'm sure there's a reason for that. And as you said, you know, it's probably going to help them. Yeah, well, they're trying to. They're actually trying to do a deal where they're trying to say they're, they're telling the uh, the regulators in the European Union that they're actually going to allow Call of Duty and all the other games from from Activision Blizzard on PlayStation for another ten years. So they're they're trying to do a deal, which is to be fair, I think they're they're they're, they're playing they're playing the game, which is they wish is what they should yeah. do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of the big big names here i just came across this one thought was interesting south africa special investigating unit siu they've ordered sap this time it's sap sap to pay back 55 million euros to us and these were they claim these were the the money that they got uh when the company for the deals that they made uh helping the, the countries so south africa's ailing power utility company escom when the former president zuma was still in power so a lot of uh action globally on these big names 55 million euros to be paid back uh, by sap so let's see what 
what SAP's next course of action will be, right? Is uh, they're going to respond to this? Are they going to just pay it? But I thought, wow, globally, so many things happening with all these big names and money, you know, deals being talk- cut and yeah. money being exchanged. Uh, and these are new, you know, some new stories out there. Yeah, listen, it's 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 crazy. We were talking about the the billionaires earlier on, and you know there was there's been a lot of a lot of news about that with the Gupta family in in South Africa, who are yep. one of the wealthiest families in South Africa. That whole regime really, it there's an awful whiff off the whole thing, and you Absolutely. know it was. I mean, to, to be fair, in South Africa, they got some whistleblowers to help out with that. So. Listen, we won't. We w- we'll move off the gossip for now. Although it's good fun to do a bit of gossip with you. We normally myself and Brendan do it, but it's great to do a bit of gossip with you. We had a listen. It was a great, great episode last time with Vinny uh, Mercand and I. Uh, he, we, I think we had a great job with a great conversation, and I thought we might just, you know, re- re- recant a couple of quick things that we talked sure. about there. I mean, I I thought for me, I, I got some good takeaways. I loved his conversation about the observation, what had happened during COVID, particularly around speed and innovation. And he threw out some really, I mean, they're such simple examples, but they're, and, and we all know them, but many of them just do, they weren't there before. Like the speed yeah. at which they threw it, telemedicine, you know, the, the speed at which you know, go the electric charging devices and, and the whole technology around that and that whole last mile of delivery and curbside pickup. Yeah. You know, yeah. these things really, Pre-COVID, they just didn't exist. And within, not even within, okay, two years later, but this stuff was within months. Sometimes they were in weeks. They were putting this on the table. So I, I thought that Huge. was really, really interesting. Massively yeah. interesting. I don't know the if speed you and, Yeah, I did too. Speed, and thank you for the recap there. The speed, the, what I walked away, the expectation about not only speed, Tomas, but it's getting value right away from the investment, immediate value, almost immediate value. And I think the COVID situation, of course, forced everybody to to move at a pace much faster. As one CIO told me, what they couldn't get done in about three years, he was able to get it done in three months, right? So it really pushed the envelope when it comes to innovation. The other thing I liked about uh, Vinny's point was this taking control, which you alluded to. Whose roadmap is it, I think, was the gist of the whole conversation, right? Whose roadmap are you driving? Is it a vendor-dictated roadmap or is it a business-driven roadmap? Because the smart companies, the smart CIOs are are driving their own business-driven roadmap because guess what? The pressure is on. You know, uh, the focus on digital, I think, is going to be huge. I just came across this study yesterday. Uh, Tomas thought I'll bring it up here. 81%, according to this recent Gartner report, 81% of CEOs say that they are going to increase, not decrease, increase their investments in digital. 69% of CFOs say that they're going to increase their investments in digital. So despite all the talk about the economic headwinds and you know a looming recession and all of that, yeah. technology is not the area they're going to cut. And Vinny's point about if you're driving a vendor dictator roadmap, you're not going to you're not going to focus on moving that innovation needle, giving immediate value to the companies. Yeah, yeah, and and you wonder what's what's creating this kind of need for them for the vendors to just be like predatory. Um, like we, we like a lot of the the the, the kind of bad news stories you talked about. We touched on some good ones earlier, but the bad news stories, they really are driven by just almost desperation. I mean, and I think one of the things that Vinny was talking about is. 
it's it's again it's like it's obvious when you look at it but you sometimes forget like the the traditional spending patterns by yep. customers yep. so the customers were traditionally so the way the, these spending patterns happened for years was either one of two what he talked about was these lumpy spending patterns or indeed actually the very large spending outsourcing patterns that you had over over maybe 10 8 10 8 9 10 years that's all changed it's a completely different model. It's transaction values are smaller. There's more. It's almost like a consumable, you know, smaller, kind of modular level. That's creating huge challenges for these these big organisations. They're they're unable to to adjust. And one of the things, actually, I don't know whether you heard this. Um, what we're hearing back from our own sales reps in the field, mm-hmm. when we specifically look at obviously IBM being our, being the company that we've t- we we compete with, but it's not unique to them. But what we've heard in the field that the it seems the audit software audits which is obviously one for compliance clearly is important but it really seems more and more that it's a it's a shakedown it's a revenue generator and they're moving from on average they were typically going back to companies every Mm -hmm. three years they're now Mm -hmm. going back every two Mm-hmm. So every two years, a company can expect can expect an audit. I mean, I mean, if you if you took a typical organisation and said, how could they deal with this? I mean, how many vendors, software vendors, if every software vendor came to them to do an audit every two years? I mean, some companies have hundreds, if not thousands, of software vendors. Yep. How could you you you'd basically employ teams? <laughs> That's right. Entire, entire buildings of people just to just to protect yourself from these audits. Yeah. Like it's absolutely ludicrous, you know. And that that's just one example, right, Tomas? One example of what a vendor-driven roadmap looks like, or vendor dictated in this case. They call the shots, and that's what's happening. I think, unfortunately, that's putting so so much pressure. You're. It's not just the financial pressure, but can you imagine when when you get ready for an audit? The people, the time, the money that's consumed by companies just in preparation for it, or you know the uh, ability to to work on the initiatives that really matter, all the digital stuff. It's not going to happen because you have your best, your brightest people, your resources all tied up just managing to this vendor-dictated roadmap. Audit's a great example. Uh, forced upgrades or end of support when you have a perfectly fine running system. Anyway, I see what you're saying. You know, the, the, this the, it was a good conversation. It was great to have Vinny validate some of those from his viewpoint, but his point about smart CIOs taking control and innovating and those are the ones that are driving the business forward right they take control of the roadmap yeah yeah no 100% and i mean i i, I think when you when you think about some of the things we're talking about here mm-hmm. uh, and some of the survey figures you threw out there a moment ago about an investment in digital when you've got the backdrop of these attacks how is it that organizations are able to do that? And I have to put a little kind of shout out to our own organization. You probably know, Harry, you know well. Yep. Uh, we recently, in the last couple of months, won an outstanding award from one of the largest uh, retailers in Europe, the, one, of the, one of the largest in the UK, Sainsbury's. They gave us one of their top awards for uh, called the Save to Invest program, which was one of their three strategic imperatives. We were the winners of that. But that's what they have to do. They have to, and the smart companies are doing that. They are looking at their environment. They're identifying areas where they can actually make significant savings without degrading service, with in fact improving service, as we would like to sell to a point out to our customers and our customers testify to this. Being able to go back and say, okay, how can I remove unnecessary cost so that I can make investments 
in those critical areas, in those those digital areas, because that's what the that's what your survey is telling you, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you think about Sainsbury's, right, second largest retailer, how can you manage 1,400 stores and compete with other retailers if you don't invest in digital? And Sainsbury's is one of those great examples where they figured out a way, and in part, of course, using third-party software maintenance, as, uh, as I call it, yet another arrow in their quiver, right, to free up the people, the time, the money to invest in those digital initiatives that's continuing to propel them forward. So very proud to myself, to our team there, and uh, and, and big uh, thank you to the Sainsbury's uh, team as well, because this is testimony to a longstanding five years and counting customer relationship and how they have chosen Origina to be a strategic partner in that category, very important category, save to invest. You save in one area. It's not, by the way, I had a very interesting conversation with one of the leading Gartner analysts yesterday who said it's not just cost cutting, it's cost optimization. You just don't cut, cut, cut while we'd help do that, but it's helping companies like Sainsbury's, helping companies like Liberty Mutual, helping companies like TIA invest that money in areas of the business that's going to give them the biggest and the maximum return. And in in all these cases, they're all going digital and we, or third-party software maintenance with Origina as Sainsbury's uh, attested to is one way to do it. Yeah, and and it's and we talk about things that come at you. I can't believe that if you saw so we I know we had some news items earlier, but the 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 one that really shocked me was the announcement from IBM of what they call price general price harmonization. Oh yeah, IBM Passport Advantage and their distributed price in, increases. I mean, did you <laughs> see what they've done? I mean, they've gone from up to twenty four percent price increases for some jurisdictions. Um, What's unbelievable uh, is they call it a modest price increase. Yeah, and across the board of 8%. I mean, I know we have inflation, but these guys have been putting up these these prices by between 5 and 10% anyway per annum. They're now going 24% in some jurisdictions, 19% in others. I mean, and you know, it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, it really, really is. And that's what that's this is the issue. These these organizations are having to come back and look at these initiatives. You mentioned Gartner earlier. Obviously, one of the things I would like to talk to you a little bit about is, is the is the the Gartner the Gartner guide on third-party software maintenance yeah. that came out again. And this is their fourth year. Uh, they've they've been running this guide and they've been making predictions about our industry. They have been talking about the growth that's existing in our industry with yeah. the benefits that we're bringing organizations and we're bringing options that just aren't available. They're just Absolutely. not available. You know, if you look at things like the, the on the mainframe side of things, you know, where you've got significant production environments and and it's a massive profit center for IBM. It runs huge numbers of the, the global transactions. We talked previously, I'll have to go over all this again, but, you know, 92% of the world's business transactions touch a mainframe somewhere along the journey. Mm-hmm. 80% of the world's business data is backed up by the by the, on a mainframe. You know, 7% of the worldwide IT spend is on mainframes. Being able to bring offerings yep. to that environment, this is that's yeah. what innovation. That's what innovation is about, isn't it? Absolutely, and uh, 
you know, we are hearing from our customers, our advisory teams around the globe, right? The the mainframe systems, as we covered in that previous episode, Tomas, mainframe systems are, are not going anywhere. These are fantastic, great, robust systems that achieve the speed and the scalability that some of the best run businesses, the leading businesses use. But here's the problem, right? Mainframe systems, the technology is fantastic, but what they're consuming in part of the the large IT budget is is that's that's what's untenable it's the cost of maintaining these systems that's contributing uh, to that big what I call the big budget problem 90% of a typical IT budget goes towards keeping the lights on can you yeah. imagine how much money companies may be spending on on on, on maintaining their mainframes and add on top of that like these price increases from 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 IBM to almost up to 24%, how much of it can companies take? I mean, you know, that's that's what makes it so ludicrous is if I'm a strategic partner, I want to help you navigate through such troubled times. I shouldn't be increasing and increasing and the price seems to just go up one way, right? It just go, keeps going upwards. Where's yeah. the relief? That's the problem here. But yes, uh, you know, we talked about the mainframes and, you know, and, and it's all about choice. And that's what this, the market guide that uh, Gartner put out, as you mentioned, you know, five, four years and counting, great uh, validation that third-party uh, software maintenance is a, they call it a feasible alternative, a proven choice. This is not new. We are, you know, leading companies in the world are using, like Sainsbury's, like, as I mentioned, Liberty Mutual and so many other companies are using third-party software maintenance to free up their people, their time, the money to invest in digital. And Gartner also, interestingly, uh, Tomas calls it quick win for IT leaders. And that's great, right? You don't have to start big. You can get some quick wins under your belt, get a couple of products, try them out and get some immediate savings, uh, invest those savings in things that's going to help your business. Go back to the business and tell them why you're going to do more of this. So Gartner's spot on in that and it's not surprising that they also say that the number of third-party software support deals rose 18% from 27% to 45% since 2021. So with all the things going on and with the big vendors like IBM putting the price pressure, it's not surprising. I think I think the word is uh, out there that uh, third-party software maintenance is a, is, a, is now a proven choice. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and for Gartner's sure. helping with that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think we, we're, we're, we're seeing it on the ground. We're seeing it on the ground. We've been, as you know, we, we, were, in, we were in Gartner, London last week at that conference <laughs> in London. And I, we're going to be in in Vegas in two weeks' time. I think you you yourself you, you're going to be yes. speaking, aren't you? Yes, on, I'll be in Vegas next week. And here's the here's the thing, right? Most of these companies and all the conversations that I'm having with CIOs and IT leaders, it's all pointing to the same thing. How can I deal with the current financial impact? Uh, you know, globally, so much going on, right? The the Russia invasion of Ukraine, or the fallout from the pandemic, and the the threat of a potential recession. These are all top of mind, not only for CIOs but CEOs. CFOs, and I mentioned those numbers, but one area that they are going to continue to invest in are, is new technology. But the problem is, how do I free up my money? And it always comes back to, you know, where where am I being charged unfairly? And then do I have a choice to move that somewhere else? And that's where third-party software maintenance comes yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be talking with one of our uh, recently retired uh, 
CIOs from one of our customers, Mike Rosa. Mike Rosa. Yes, yeah, Mike yeah. Rosa. I, you know, I'm fortunate to have him on back on stage with me next uh, Tuesday at the Gartner Las Vegas, the Infrastructure Operations Conference. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that we just talked about. Mike's a, um, you know, veteran CIO. He was the former CIO of uh, uh, NISORCE and yeah. uh, AEP as well. A wealth of experience. And he's done, he's himself has used third-party software maintenance in, in various forms in his previous tenure. So he's going to be talking about why he believed that it's a, such a viable alternative and how he freed up his precious budget and and resources to invest in all the strategic initiatives. So can't wait. Uh, Mike's going to be great. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it. And the thing is about it, go back to that report for a second, because I, when I was when I was looking through it, it was kind of uncanny how I mean, Gartner obviously don't they don't come in and 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 and, and interrogate every single one of our customers, but when they, when they, with the research that they do in our business and all the other participants in the industry, I mean, you look at where organizations like us can really add value, even aside the investment side of things, you know, things like cloud migrations. Mm. Um, you know, this is this is a challenge for organizations. You know, it's not an overnight process. Um, no. The same way with, you know, migrating to any new technology, but particularly cloud migrations where there's a long process and indeed for many organizations, particularly regulator organizations who may have to leave a footprint behind. What they, the last thing they want to have is a situation where First of all, A, they don't have a supportive environment, which obviously changes risk, or B, they have an environment where actually because of their, their focus on the new area, they have to spend an inordinate amount of time and attention dealing with challenges with it relating to that, that environment. So this is yeah. the, the, you know, the, the technical debt. What they, they don't want to be brought back to the table every uh, 12 or 18 months to make a change to the technology as you talked earlier about forced upgrades or mm -hmm. deal with these sort of price increases we're talking about or indeed the fact that maybe some of the technology has been sold to somebody else and no longer mm -hmm. if they now have to have a new relationship with a with an organization in the way for example when ibm sold the technology over to hcl hcl are an excellent company but for many of the companies that we have taken on contracts with they had no relationship with hcl at all and they, they didn't want a situation where they brought right. in a brand new very large vendor like that who can be difficult for, for even when two large companies get in the room it's too big giants kind of bouncing into each other they needed nimbleness they needed agility and they weren't getting that you know yeah. or indeed there's actually no skills in the organization yeah. any of these organizations yeah. you know so so the fact that we can be part of that process we can provide some surety over that technical debt. I mean, the t phrase that I often use, don't replace your technical debt necessarily. It's not always the right thing to do. Restructure that debt. There's a, it's, it can be an awful sensible, more sensible thing to do. You know, you've got situations where in many cases, they're being charged and there's very little support being provided in the first instance, yep. or the type of support that's needed is the the frequency of calls or the 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 stability of that environment? They don't want to make a change to it. The minute they make a change to it, suddenly there's like the the, the issues are are endless. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's like trying to unwind a, like a a, a very a complex tapestry, and you remove trying to remove one or two threads from that tapestry, and next thing the whole thing falls apart. Or the reason that they've removed the thread is because, for example, there's an end of support date. Suddenly somebody comes along and says, ah, sorry, sorry, mate, you got to change all this because we don't support it anymore. You're going, no, please <laughs> leave it alone. <laughs> you know, there's no. so many reasons, so many reasons. Yeah, that's I, I why. On. 
Yeah, no, that's why I love the phrase, as Gartner says in their market guide, they call third-party software maintenance or original can be a safe haven, right? Where in all those scenarios you talk about, it can be a, you know, you go in with the cloud migration program, you think it'll be done in 18 months. Oh, uh, it probably may be closer to 36 months. So what are you doing? How exposed are you? How much money are you continuing to pay the vendors when you know that you're not going to stay with them? Uh, does not make sense. So I think considering a third-party software maintenance model like with original where as you said the end of support is another great one right you've just invested customers have just probably invested millions of dollars implementing a certain version of the product that works perfectly fine and suddenly you know the uh, the, the vendor comes and says that no you, you need to get uh, if you need to get support you need to be on our latest version wait a minute i just invested uh, so much of money in people in time rolling it out globally and now you want me to move to the next version why so these are the questions i think companies are beginning to ask and i think in all of these cases that's why the safe haven concept is such a powerful one because you should not be worried about maintaining your back-end systems. That's why companies like Origin are there to help you. And you're not under pressure, right? You don't have to be forced to upgrade. And you should not be forced to upgrade. You should be on your timeline. And you drive your roadmap. It goes back to Vinny's point. Be You drive your roadmap. You stay in control. And that's what choice is about. And when you say, when there's a choice, Tomas, as you know, choice means competition. Competition means best value back to our customers. And that's why I love the fact that Gartner sees third-party software maintenance as such a viable and a compelling alternative to mainstream vendor support. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't want to be in the pound sterling or euro at the moment with 24% increases in the IBMs. Uh, <laughs> that would not be good. That would not be good. Listen, I think it's been a great, it's been a great discussion. And I think it's, it's, it's timely that we reviewed that. We're very lucky that Gartner do this report, to be honest with you, because it raises yes. the profile of the industry. It helps raise our profile too. So we're 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 very grateful for, to the organisation to do that. It gives us a great opportunity to to showcase what we do and and be part of a of, of a really fast growing industry. And I'd like to thank you, Harry, for joining me again uh, on the show. I think we've we've done it. We've done a cracking job reviewing that. Obviously, if you, if anybody who's listening wants to uh, read the full report, please go to yes. our website original.com. Uh, check under the resources section. You'll 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 be able to check it out and and give it a read and come back and listen to this podcast again and see see do you agree or disagree or or do you have any questions for us? So we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. Um, Always fun doing these with you, Tomas. And next time we'll get Brendan on. So please do come and listen to the 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 next month's episode can't wait <laughs> and i i hear you're going to be we're going to be side by side because you're coming we, to dublin is that right we'll, we will be side by side i will be in dublin and we'll we'll have some nice back and forth yeah yeah it'll probably be dark like it is here at the moment in dublin because yeah. you're getting it's getting it's getting dark all the time earlier and earlier but listen it's great to have you harry great chatting to you as always Thank you for joining me on the podcast. And uh, to you, our listeners, thank you very much for joining me. And join us again in a couple of weeks' time. We're discussing who knows what, but certainly something to do with software. Chances are something to do with IBM, maybe even HCL, maybe even Larry Ellison. Who knows? We're two Irish guys discussing software. Thank you and take care. Bye.